Welcome to the Robert J. Morgan Podcast, a podcast dedicated to helping you believe and cherish the Bible and to learn and love Christian history and hymnody. I'm producer Joshua Rowe, introducing your host, Robert J. Morgan. Rob has written dozens of books with titles like The Red Sea Rules, 100 Bible Verses Everyone Should Know by Heart, and Then Sings My Soul. His newest book, 100 Bible Verses That Made America, is a biblical tour through American history and releases in February of 2020, but can be pre-ordered now. Visit robertjmorgan.com for more details and for free downloads related to this resource or pre-order from your favorite online retailer. And now, here's your host, Robert J. Morgan. Hello, this is Robert J. Morgan talking about my book, 100 Bible Verses That Made America. Trying to explain American history without its Bible is like the city of Washington without its monuments. Had there been no Bible, there would be no America as we know it. Revisionist historians are trying to erase the Bible's influence on American history, but no eraser can truly do that. The story is too deeply embedded and too amazingly wonderful. Well, in previous podcasts, I've talked about the pilgrims and the Puritan migration when great numbers of England's greatest people fled to the colonies because of persecution. But now I want to talk about the Great Awakening and its impact upon the American Revolution. During the 1800s, all of these Puritans and the Christians that had fled from Europe and from other places seeking freedom from persecution had established churches and Christianity in the American colonies and throughout Europe was growing. But there came a time, as so often occurs, when the tide of enthusiasm waned and the church and the vitality of Christianity was threatened by the rising tides of skepticism, French rationalism, and the so-called Age of Reason. In many churches in the colonies, the fire of enthusiasm went out. Congregations were simply going through the motions of their faith as attendance dropped and fervor waned. But just when the work of the kingdom was at its lowest ebb in America and in Britain and in Germany, a series of incredible revivals swept over the land. The Holy Spirit moved to revive his church and his work in the midst of the years. On the British Isles, this was the Wesleyan Revival, named for its prominent leaders, John and Charles Wesley. In Germany, it's called the Pietistic Movement, or Pietism. And throughout the American colonies, the revival which took place at the same general time became known as the Great Awakening. Before it began spreading like a prairie fire over all of the colonies, the Great Awakening began with some hot spots, local revivals here and there. The first were seen in New Jersey under the preaching of a man named Theodore Jacobus Philenhausen. Another key figure was Reverend William Tennant Sr., who came to America from Ireland in 1716 and settled near Philadelphia. He purchased a hundred acres of land and built a log cabin school for the training of pastors. The students there, which included his own sons, studied by day and took up lodgings in the neighborhood at night. Tennant's wife, Catherine, cared for the boys like sons. This rough building became the first Presbyterian seminary in America, and the log cabin became a bonfire for the Great Awakening. A third man was Jonathan Edwards 
who was the pastor of a church in Northampton, Massachusetts. Edwards was a brilliant man. Today he's recognized as the premier Christian theologian in American history. And even as a child, he was fluent in English, Latin, Greek, and Hebrew. His church and the area around it showed signs of great revival in the 1730s. His best-known moment came on Sunday, July 8, 1741, while ministering in tiny Enfield, Connecticut. A group of women had spent the previous night praying for revival. When Edwards rose to speak, he quietly announced that his text was Deuteronomy 32:35. Their foot shall slide in due time. This hellfire and brimstone approach was somewhat of a departure for Edwards. Of his 1,000 written sermons, less than a dozen are of this type. Edwards neither gestured nor raised his voice. He spoke softly and simply, warning the unconverted that they were dangling over hell like a spider over the fire. O sinner, he said, consider the fearful danger. The unconverted are now walking over the pit of hell on a rotten covering, and there are innumerable places in this covering so weak that it will not bear their weight, and these places are not seen." Edward's voice was suddenly lost amid cries and commotions from the crowd. He paused, appealing for calm, then he concluded, Let everyone that is out of Christ now awake and fly from the wrath to come. The wrath of Almighty God is now undoubtedly hanging over a great part of this congregation. Let everyone fly out of Sodom. Strong men held to pews and posts, feeling they were sliding into hell. Others shook uncontrollably and rolled on the floor. Throughout the night, cries of men and women were heard throughout the village, begging God to save them. Five hundred people were converted that evening, sparking a revival that swept thousands into the kingdom. But these three men, Freelinghausen, Tennant, and Edwards, didn't become the best-known figure of the Great Awakening. That distinction goes to a British preacher named George Whitfield. George Whitfield became a Christian while attending Oxford in 1735. He became part of the Wesleyan revival on the British islands, but he made repeated trips to the colonies and became a sensation. Whitfield's sermons were electric. His vivid imagination, prodigious memory, powerful voice, and ardent sincerity mesmerized listeners. He could be heard a mile away, and his voice was so rich that the British actor David Garrick said, I would give 100 guineas if I could say, oh, like Mr. Whitfield. Whitfield, a young man in his early 20s, toured the American colonies, sparking and fanning the Great Awakening and bringing multitudes to Christ. His sermon in Boston drew the largest crowd that had ever gathered in America, 23,000 people, more than Boston's entire population. During his lifetime, Whitfield preached over 18,000 times to millions of listeners, and he has been called the greatest evangelist in history except for the Apostle Paul. He set the colonies on fire. Eighty percent of the population of America heard him, usually in the open air. His crowds numbered thousands, and his voice was commanding, though he had only the air for amplification. He was America's first celebrity, the most famous person in the colonies before George Washington, and he has been called America's spiritual founding father. 
Whitfield's 1739 and 1740 tour of the colonies began in Philadelphia and coincided with the high tide of the Great Awakening. He generated audience like none had ever before, often exceeding the population of the cities he visited, and a spirit of revival radiated from his ministry for miles in all directions. Nathan Cole, a farmer in Connecticut, described Whitfield's visit to his area on October 23, 1740, and I want to read to you how Nathan Cole described the events of that day. He said, I heard of his preaching in Philadelphia. Like one of the old apostles and many thousands flocking after him to hear the gospel, and great numbers were converted to Christ, I felt the Spirit of God drawing me by conviction. I longed to see and hear him and wished that he would come this way. Then one morning, all on a sudden, about eight or nine o'clock, there came a messenger and said, Mr. Whitfield is to preach at Middleton on this day at ten o'clock. I was in my field at work. I dropped my tool and ran home and ran through my house and bid my wife get ready to go and hear Mr. Whitfield. I ran to my pasture for my horse and with all of my might fearing that I should be too late to hear him. I brought the horse and soon mounted and took my wife up and went forward as fast as I thought the horse could bear. And when my horse would begin to be out of breath, I would get down and put my wife on the saddle and bid her ride as fast as she could. And I would run until I was out of breath as if we were fleeing for our lives, all the while fearing we should be too late to hear the sermon, for we had twelve miles to ride." And when we came within about a half mile of the road that comes down from Hartford, I saw before me a cloud or fog arising. I heard a noise something like the roll rumbling of thunder, and presently found it was the rumbling of horses coming down the road, a steady stream of horses and their riders, all of a lather and with foam and sweat. Every horse seemed to go with all of his might to carry his rider to hear news from heaven for the saving of their souls. It made me tremble." My wife said, Law, our clothes, they'll be all spoiled. Look how they look, for they were all covered with dust. There was a great multitude, and it was said that three or four thousand people assembled together. We got from our horses and shook off the dust, and I turned and looked towards the great river, and I saw the ferry boats running swift forward and backward, bringing over loads of people. The land and the banks of the river looked black with people and horses. When I saw Mr. Whitfield come upon the platform, he looked almost angelical, a young, slim, slender youth before some thousands of people, and with a bold, undaunted countenance, and my hearing how God was with him everywhere as he came along, it solemnized my mind and put me into a trembling fear before he even began to preach, for he looked as if he was clothed with authority from the great God." Well, that sermon resulted in Nathan Cold's conversion and in the conversion of hundreds of others on that day. George Whitfield's repeated visits to America between 1738 and 1770 led thousands to Christ. The Great Awakening united the colonies in a way that transcended regional differences, infused the land with spiritual liberty, populated their pulpits with clergymen proclaiming freedom, and laid a moral foundation for the American Revolution. Modern historians don't like to admit this, but as one of them said, the success of the First Great Awakening was nothing less 
than an American Declaration of Intellectual Independence from Europe and made the American Revolution not only possible, but also inevitable. The preachers spawned by the Great Awakening later became the preachers of liberty. And John Adams said, The American Revolution was effected before the war commenced. The revolution was in the minds and the hearts of the people, a change in their religious sentiments and their duties and their obligations. In other words, I could make a case that it was the Great Awakening that united the colonies emotionally, spiritually, fired up the preachers, gave them a love for liberty, gave them a sense of independence, and without the Great Awakening, whether or not there would have been an American Revolution as it occurred is up for grabs. Well, for more information about the hand of God in U.S. history, check out my book, 100 Bible Verses That Made America, and my other resources at robertjmorgan.com. Thank you for listening to this podcast. It was produced by Clearly Media, edited by Elijah Rowe, music by Jordan Davis. For more information and resources, visit my website at robertjmorgan.com. This is Robert J. Morgan. Thank you for listening.